The Athletic. Hello, I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Business of Sport podcast on The Athletic. Uh, as ever, we're joined by Matt Slater, football news reporter at The Athletic. So last week, the UK government announced a nine-person panel for its fan-led review of English football. The panel aims to canvas fans' views on ownership, governance and financial flows within the game. We're joined by Tracy Crouch, a former sports minister for the British government, and she is currently the elected member of parliament for Chatham and Aylesford in the southeast of England. Well, Tracy, thank you very much for doing this. I suppose the first thing is, how has the panel been made up and put together? It was a combination of suggestions from me and from others uh, as to who I thought would be good in terms of supporting me as we go through this process. Uh, the panel are the experts in various different parts of the ecosystem in football. We are all fans, but the process is the fan-led bit, not the panel. When you talk about the process, before you've even had a, a your first proper meeting, how long do you expect the process to last? Well, I've been asked to put an interim report out by the beginning of the summer recess, which is the end of July, and then final report in October. So it's it's not going to take very long. Is that the right amount of time? I do think so, in part because I think there's a real desire and an appetite for a great deal of work to be done and, and for the recommendations to be made as soon as possible. Fans and, and everybody involved in football doesn't want this to be long and pushed into long grass and everything else. But, you know, let's be clear, I've got a commitment from both the Prime Minister and the Secretary of State saying that you know, if radical changes need to be made and legislation is going to be done, then it will happen. So let's you know, jump on that and make sure we take advantage of it. Why did you want to be involved? I've been talking about reviewing football actually for some significant time. It was being discussed as we were going through the process with Berry. I wasn't in government at the time that you know, the whole Berry saga happened, but Downing Street were talking to me about what the sort of things could we do, both in the immediate and the long term to stop this from happening again. And it was clear to me that we needed to have some kind of proper structured review, looking at governance and the future financial sustainability of football. And so not being in government is a really useful way of being able to step back and solely focus on football. When you're sports minister, you're you know focusing on lots of different issues. And so it was, you know, just a good opportunity to do it. And and I love the sport. I, I live and breathe it like you guys do. And and actually I want to see it thrive for the future. Before Matt comes in, as you say, that the whole berry process has happened and, and you weren't in government for that. You know, if you go back through even the last decade. We've had reviews into FA governance, haven't we, and whether there should be FA reform. The EFL have had an independent review into their governance and their reform. And it's all very well having the review and the report, but nothing ever seems to be followed up after that. And, and we appear to go round in circles. And I, I, you know, I've looked at some of the parliamentary papers from previous reviews, and you kind of think, well, if you'd implemented them, we might we might not be in the mess that we are and you might not having to be doing your review. What do you think is different this time? Well, I think there's a whole host of issues that are different this time. I mean, first of all, what happened with the ESL just made it very clear that you know, there's a complete 
change in attitude about about the English Premier League and and where it stood and and what it meant to people. And so, you know, it's a real opportunity, I think, to address some of the imbalance in that. But a lot of football governance reviews in the past have focused on the reform of the Football Association and not necessarily looked at other aspects of the pyramid. The select committee reports that you refer to, they're not binding. And, you know, this is not something that the government has to do it can just acknowledge and say well that's all very nice thank you very much for taking your time to look at that and then you know but we think that football is separate from government football should therefore look at itself and and reform itself i think the difference is now that actually football's had its chance to look at itself and reform itself and it hasn't done it and the esl was the trigger that basically you know started a government review into football it's a relatively uncomfortable place to be because actually sports should be separate from from government i remember as sports minister people used to email me all the time to tell me to sack oyston and i'm like well that's just not what a sports minister should be able to do because if i can sack people then i can appoint people and mark you'd make a great you know sort of kind of owner at Blackpool right <laughs> so you know it's like um you know you want you want that you want that separation between government and 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 a sport you but it's it's not it's not a comfortable place for anyone to be in but we have to look at this now seriously and see what we can come up with because football is just not doing it for itself Tracy I think you raised some really interesting points there I mean one often comes up is FIFA being very uneasy about government intervention in sport and and coming down hard on they tend to be smaller countries to be fair they they pick and choose their battles but they don't like it anyway so that's the first thing I mean are you are you cognizant of that? Have you had a you know a conversation about that? How are you going to handle that? And then I think the second thing is you're going to get pushback. It's already started from the game. The Premier League have made it pretty clear they don't like the sound of an independent regulator. They want to do this themselves. They want to come up with their own set of recommendations. So you've almost got this big external issue with FIFA, but then you've kind of got the people you kind of need to bring with you as well seem a bit resistant from the off? Well, I mean, I think two points. I mean, firstly, with FIFA, yes, we'll be looking very closely at what the FIFA rules are. I mean, I think it's quite understandable that FIFA don't want political intervention in the the running of, of football. I have no intention of doing anything that means that a politician is running football. Politicians will not be picking the next England manager or the squad or interfering when their favourite player gets a yellow card. That's not what I see politicians role in. But I do think that we can set up uh, regulation or structures that around the ownership of football clubs in our country. And I think actually that is, you know, how is it any different in terms of having a franchise model in the NFL where most of the franchise owners support, you know, a president of some sort or the other, you know, and everything else. I, I just, you know, I do think that there is a difference in the actual structures of football and the running of the game of football. And the FA have to remain completely separate to that and be able to control that. And the coaching and the academy and the technical aspects like referees and, and so on. But taking away the owner's director's test and making it more robust, you know, I don't see why that would bother FIFA. Because actually, surely it's about having a healthy football system in the country, you know, arguably the best football league in the world. So, you know, I think it strengthens the game more than anything. In terms of the Premier League and the EFL and the FA and everybody else who wants to have their say, then they can have their say on on what it is that they want. And all their views will be taken into consideration. But ultimately, at the end of the day, you know, 
or I hope to come up with a set of recommendations that is about football removing all of the conflicts of interest that each and every authority has. You made a really good point at the beginning that I think has been misunderstood in some of the kind of commentary I've seen around the the panel. I mean, you're always going to get this, right? People unhappy with someone there and someone who isn't there. I think you explained it better than I've seen anyone explain it. And I just want you to expand on that if you could, that the fan-led bit is what happens next, right? So your panel is a sounding board, I assume, and the fan-led bit is what happens yeah, next. that's exactly right. Unfortunately, the press release perhaps wasn't as clear <laughs> as it could have been, you know, in my day. You know, it is certainly, the, the, the fan-led bit is the bit about the engagement. You know, I will meet with every supporters trust. I will meet with specialist interest supporters groups. I will meet with Dom down at Chatham Town if he wants me to. You know, I will I will listen. There will be, there, there'll be a survey. There will be an email address. There'll be a way for everybody to get in touch with their views on this. The panel are people I will go to and say, well, this is an interesting idea. How does it work? So, for example, you know, we've got um, Denise, uh, the CEO of, of Everton. I'm super thrilled that she's joining us on the panel. But say, hypothetically, we come up with something that is about the corporate governance of, of a football club. Well, I, I need to ask, how is that going to work? You know, what would her lawyers say? What would, you know, what, what is the sort of kind of the impact on a business that is football? They're the, you know, the expert group that are going to be advising me. They don't have to sign up to the recommendations. So it will be my report. Um, and I'm not seeking consensus or unity from the panel for the recommendations in the report. Boundaries are interesting, aren't they, Tracy? Because you talk about, you know, ownership of a football club and, and, and fit and proper and so on and so forth. But you mentioned but you'd leave academies to being being run. And yet academies, historically, as we've seen, have clubs been able to govern their academies well when we look at the child abuse cases of the 70s and 80s and maybe further forward and into the 90s. So every time you discuss something, it could very well lead on to discussing something else. And before you know it, you've got the you've got the whole game and its structure in this report. So do you know where your boundaries are at the moment or are you going to have to be quite strict in setting them as your process goes along? The honest answer is, is that we will probably cross some boundaries that we didn't mean to cross at the start of the process by the end of the process. <laughs> because, you know, actually, you know, football is a whole game and, and it isn't necessarily just about what we watch at the weekend, you know, and the grassroots side of thing is very important. So we may well get there. I mean, I'm desperate to not be drawn into things like VAR um and you know uh, but fans really care about this and is it a case of say we have more fans involved in the decisions at things like the Premier League for example where these issues are being discussed that then change the rules and regulations of what happens on the pitch I don't know but from conversations that I'm having fans yes of course they care about the owners uh, and the long-term sustainability of the club but they also care about how much the away strip costs and why have we got four different strips and why have they suddenly changed the broadcasting time of a football match and things like that you know it's those sorts of things that they care about and some of that will be within the, the remit of the review and some of it won't be when you talk about what fans care about how open do you think the game is within the corridors of power to listening to fans and having fans sitting in meetings with them. Oh, extremely open. 
I mean, extremely, I mean, I think the thing is, is that you guys both know, because you live and breathe football as well, that there are so many different voices within the fan sector of, of football. I mean, you know, it's like, what's the difference between a fan and a supporter? It becomes, are we just talking about people who are season ticket holders? Or are we talking about dear old Jack, who was once taken at, as a wee boy to West Ham and has supported them, you know, continuously into his 90s, but has never been to the new stadium? Those sorts of things. There are so many different voices within the fan groups that themselves as to what is important. I literally, over the course of the next few weeks, have non-stop Zoom meetings with supporter trusts because I do intend to listen to every supporter trust across the whole pyramid, right down to non-league, and hopefully hear a whole range of views on issues. It was interesting that you started raising some other really important points that come up regularly. You know, the, the, the number of strips that clubs come out with these days, kickoff times, you know, I know you were joking about VAR, but you're right. That's that that's an issue that annoys people and just just rule changes. But I was looking at your terms of reference, and you know, they're they're not there. I know you were just using them as examples, but yeah, is there a danger that you're going to just do too much? And if you talk to everyone, you will hear their laundry list of complaints. You know, yep. what what are your priorities? If you had to do three things. What would they be? The priorities are around the regulation, so the governance uh, structures of football, but also improving the flow of finances through p- football. And of course, making sure that fans have a greater say in the future of their club. I think that when we're talking about what do fans want to say about, where is their power and their strength? What do they care about? It's around the heritage and the culture of a club. And I think that we have to remember that people who sit on boards suddenly have a fiduciary duty. Would I, as a lifelong Spurs fan, fancy liability of Daniel's £395 million debt at Tottenham? <laughs> now, I've worked very hard to get the mortgage and the roof over my son's head, but I do care about the badge and I care about the stadium and I care about the cost of tickets and I care about the work that they do in the community and things like that. So I think it's having a proper understanding of what is it that fans want the engagement over and and yes they want to have greater transparency about the business and the and the finances of a club but what they want the decision making process to be about is not being able to suddenly change cardiff blues to whatever it was so yeah yeah and hull and, yeah 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 well going back to the terms of reference i just want to sort of pin you down a little bit because there are there are a couple of things you there are mentioned they were mentioned in the press release as well so they're clearly important and one is the independent regulator which I think is going to probably become the thing that appears in the first couple of paragraphs of every story about the FEMED review. You know, will you recommend one or not? So do you have a starting position? Do you have a hunch about where you want to go with this? Yeah, I'll be honest and I say that it's a genie that's been let out the bottle and it's not going back in. The question is actually not um, in my mind, you know, about an independent regulator, it's what it regulates. And I think that's going to be the sticking point. And I think actually, to be honest with you, I, I know you did suggest that the Premier League and the, the FA and co you know, might be hesitant about it, but I think they've become a lot more open-minded and perhaps recognise now that this is it, this is the future of what it looks like, but it is what will it regulate as opposed to, and, and also where does it sit, right? goes back to your point, Matt, about FIFA. Is it a separate regulator, like an Ofcom, or is it a beefed up but entirely independent football regulatory authority that still sits within the, the FA family? I mean, those sorts of questions are what you know the lawyers and the experts on the panel are going to be there to be able to help with. All right, that's really interesting. Okay, I, I, I won't, because you've got to do your report, right? So that's really interesting, though, that you're saying that the genie's out of the bottle. 
We're, we're going to get an independent regulator. I think we will, because, you know, it's been called for t- for too long. And I think, you know, I mean, I spoke to Richard Caborn, right? So Richard was talking about some of these issues in governance when he was minister 15, 20 years yeah, ago. 20 years ago. 20 years mm. ago. And, and I said to him, like, how many times have, did you, did I, did all the, people in between and indeed since stood up and said football has had its chance to reform itself, right? Well, it just didn't. It goes back to that point I made earlier. It's an uncomfortable place to be, but football didn't do it. So unfortunately, there does need to be some look at independent regulation of aspects of what happens in English football. I don't know. The bit I don't know is what that looks like. And I think, or what it regulates. That's the thing I don't know. What I do know is that it's not fit for purpose as it stands at the moment. That's fine. That'd be really interesting to see where you go with that. The other other one that that leaps out is this 50 plus one idea, which again is something that we've talked about on the podcast, you know, this sort of ownership model that Germany sort of held up as an example. Sweden has something a bit similar. Look, I know a lot of fans like the sound of it. I'm not sure fans here fully understand it. I'm not sure they realise that there are people in Germany who are wondering if it's actually the right thing for them right now, particularly when Bayern Munich win nine in a row. And when investors that we talk to that want to do something in Germany are going, "Mm, I might go invest somewhere else. And there are people at German clubs saying, oh, God, don't invest over there, invest here. So is 50 plus one the answer to everyone's problems? Well, we'll look at it. But as you say, there are many imperfections uh, within the 50 plus one. And I think the people that do call for it perhaps don't necessarily fully appreciate the history of the differences between f- football here and football there. Right? So up until what, the late 90s, Germany, uh, German football clubs were wholly fan-owned and the Bundesliga was pretty crap, right? So <laughs> they, um, so oh. they needed, yeah. well, I mean, you know, comparatively, mm. so they needed business investment. Um, into their football clubs and and it's grown in terms of the quality and, and the quantity and everything else in, in Germany. But we've always been business owned here. And actually, so it's it's very difficult to retrofit a 50 plus one into you know, our system when there are business rules and regulations around that. They, they are as I say, there's a lot of corporate law out there, which would make that incredibly challenging. What isn't necessarily impossible are things like golden share options, for example. And that's another thing that we'll be looking at. And you're right to say, by the way, that Germany is looking at us to see what happens because there are ways around some of these things. So is it Bayern Munich has four of the country's largest multinationals sitting on its yeah. board? Yeah, yeah. Shareholders. Yeah. Yeah. Bruce you know, Dortmund, they've, you know, they've got shares mm. on the stock exchange. Red Bull found a way around it. There are already exceptions to the rule. All their members are Red Bull employees, aren't they? At like Leipzig yeah, yeah. or something yeah. like that. So, you know, the fan, the fan conversation is actually with people that they've employed themselves. So actually what we want is meaningful engagement from fans. And I don't want ways of getting around it. You know, I understand, for example, why Chelsea and and Tottenham and and others have kind of, you know, reacted to the ESL thing by saying, well, we're going to have fans on the board. But, you know, they've decided to appoint the fans themselves, which is perhaps not, I mean, it's a a short term. Um, uh, response not necessarily what the fans themselves want because they want to be able to go through the democratic process to be the ones to be able to engage in that and I think in Spain they have a a bit more 
democratic kind of process in terms of fan engagement and and maybe that is what we'll be looking at as well but there are so many different options I mean we've got 92 clubs in the professional period of which there's about 42 different ways of ownership and governance models so there's a lot of difference out there what we can look at. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Going forward, how do you guard against self-interest? Because football is a sport that's, well, in fact, most sport is full of self-interest, I think, at the the elite level. So how are you going to navigate between what might be right for the game and what somebody tells you is right for the game, but in the main is probably just right for themselves from their perspective? Well, I mean, one of the reasons why I've got such a diverse panel is we will be able to sort of, I think, kind of, identify some of the areas of self-interest I think if I start from a point of utter cynicism and skepticism with what everybody's telling me then well, you know, well, maybe you can... welcome to my world Tracy <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah absolutely Look, I mean it's all self-interest okay I mean we, we, we have a self-interest in in making sure that our clubs succeed as fans you know we want our fa- our clubs to succeed it's the question is how, how do you balance what you think is right what what is success right so and I think that's part of the challenge I think the other thing is is that in a way and I'm sure your podcast has covered this you know on many occasions football is a business profit is not necessarily a dirty word or shouldn't necessarily be a dirty word it's how it's then recycled back into the game is what I think is 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 where the sort of kind of the moral aspect of it is. I look at what's happened at Manchester United and, and you know, as the Manchester United fans do. And I think part of the issue there is that, you know, they see the clubs making the profits, but they don't see the reinvestment back into their club. They don't have a brand new spanking stadium like Tottenham do or like Everton are about to have. And so it's not that, that people mind a club making money, it's just that they want to see the money go back into the football club. Yes, absolutely. That then leads to another point, which obviously, you know, they are they are my club and they've made me incredibly angry over recent weeks. And in many ways, I, on many things, I haven't been able to say anything about it. Now, you are a Tottenham fan. So do you go into this process really angry at your club and the other five that tried to do what they do. And how difficult, this is This is purely on a personal level, how difficult do you think you'll be able to find that to separate your, your personal views from what you're having to do professionally? Well, quite easy because it's actually not just about the ESL. This is actually a much wider issue than just what happened with the ESL. Do you know, in a way, I was sort of kind of, out of all the six clubs, I think I understood Tottenham's position more because of the scale of their debt, right? They just thought it was going to be easy money that's going to help pay off the problems that they have there so as board directors I could completely see why they went for it actually I thought that it's probably wrong to sort of kind of I have all the fans of all the clubs shouting at me but I didn't understand why Man City wanted to do it 
right? Because they don't, they didn't need the money and they'd already do great things in the community. They're winning everything pretty much. And I've seen the community works that they do. They're amazing. So I didn't quite understood why they needed to do it. Well, interestingly, Tracy, from, from talking to a couple of people from around City, City do have shareholders as well now. There are investors in City away from just the the the, the main owners. And I think, I suppose, there is a fear of missing out financially. And in three or four years' time, if that league had been successful, no matter how much money the owners had, the shareholders, I suppose, Tracy, come into the table and go, hang on a minute, you turned down a, a basic $250 million a year. It was panic, actually, for some of them, wasn't it? That's, that's how I read it, I think. Yeah, I get that. I get that. But it's about, therefore, did they really understand what was being proposed? You know, did they realise that actually what w- was happening was the flying in the complete face of what football should be about. I think it's the equivalent of, say, and I used to work for Aviva before I became um, uh, an MP, so the old Norwich Union, and our chief executive was really passionate about investing in green energy and climate change. So it's the equivalent of shareholders saying, but we want to invest in the dirty coal-fired power station because it's going to bring us more of a return. And actually what you need is someone to turn around and say, yes, but our, our ethical position is... X, Y, Z. And unfortunately, I think that for many, it was sold as something that perhaps wasn't quite as clear and transparent as to what it would actually be. And therefore, they just all went for the dirty coal-fired power station and not realised that they were completely sort of kind of being corrupt about what the ethic of football is. As you say, it's not it's not about the ESL, this. This is, this is, this is the whole game. So, so two other aspects of the game. Grassroots. Like like proper grassroots. Yep. Saturday, Sunday, crap pitches, never looked after, awful facilities. You know, grassroots constantly says, please, can we just have some more money from the elite level? Surely, surely there's a percentage of the broadcast deal that could be passed down to grassroots to look after the pitches to make it better for us all. Would that be within your remit? I don't know. I was sat at nine o'clock on Saturday morning watching my five-year-old not play football um, (laughs) while I paid for it. You know, I spent, what, nine years coaching girls at grassroots level. For me, grassroots is the the most important part of, of the pyramid. It's the bit that really engages people in football right from the start. The truth is, is a lot of money does go into grassroots football. It just, we don't necessarily see it as part of the pyramid. So the Premier League obviously invest a lot of money in the Football Foundation. They invest in community trusts in different ways. They invest in uh, sort of local authority schemes and, and stuff like that. We just don't see it as Premier League money. So should we be making sure that the Premier League actually be a bit more transparent about where it is that their money is going? And maybe we'll stop chatting at the Premier League. The other thing is, is that the Football Association, I mean, don't forget they themselves have become a lot more business orientated with their broadcasting rights. And therefore, could they be putting more money into the grassroots game? Should we as government put more money into the grassroots game. You know, this isn't just about football. It's we as taxpayers, do we want to see more money to maintain pitches? Oh my God, I've played some on atrocious pitches and I've coached, seen the girls play on atrocious pitches. They're more often than not a local authority pitches. How do we make sure that they are getting funding to, to maintain those as well? And on that, how much will the women's game be, be a focus of, of, of this review? And that could be as much from elite level and women's super league yeah. to making sure that 
every girl has the same opportunity to play football in primary school as every boy. So it doesn't go, boys do football, girls do hockey. Well, I mean, that last sentence, you know, I, I agree with totally as somebody who's banned from playing football at primary school. Well, exactly. Um, well, exactly. Yeah. That, that to me, straight. I, I mean, I know we're focusing on ownership and all of yeah. that, but if, if you're doing this comprehensive review, that is a that is a massive one for me, a massive one. Oh, yeah, totally, right? I mean, I just think it's bizarre that 40 years ago I was banned from playing football in primary school and yet the, the women's game has made so many different strides forward and so much progress and yet there are still girls that are not allowed to play football at school and you think, what on earth is going on? Grassroots is a really important aspect of the game and making sure that the money does flow through is, is essential. What we also remember is grassroots includes non-league as well. They too have financial aspects. They need to be able to be supported to make themselves financially sustainable. Looking at obviously part of the, the, the remit is about financial sustainability. This is not just about how much of Premier League money goes to elsewhere in football. It's what can football also do for itself? I still to this day don't understand why the EFL have their rule about no artificial pitches. Right? Because you can you can sweat your asset. At the moment, if you're an EFL club, you can, you, you open those turnstiles on a Tuesday and a Saturday. Mm. Go down to Maidstone United, their, their gates are open every single day. As Sutton are about to find out. We had Harrogate Towns over yeah. on one of our very first pods. He had to, he had to cover his up. He had yeah. to bury his. Yeah. Look, one last one for me. You talked a bit about um, self-interest in the game, and we are well aware of that. Don't you worry. I have to ask, though, is there a little bit of self-interest going on here as well with the government? I know no one's going to question your credentials as a football fan, Tracy. I know that. And your interest in football and sport more generally. But has your government got suddenly very interested in football for its own political reasons? Part of me wants to answer that by saying, if it has, I don't care. Because, you know, it's meant that we can get on with a, a governance review that had been promised in the manifesto, but because of coronavirus hadn't happened. But I think the one thing that's frustrated me for the 11 years that I've been an MP is that people don't really understand the importance of football because in, in a community perspective, what people see are what happens in the Premier League and people who are not interested in, in football in this place. They see the antics of the Premier League and they think that's it. That's what football's about. You know, what they don't see, and I'm sorry to mention them again, but what they don't see is the likes of Chatham Town supporting elderly supporters throughout the the pandemic and you know what they don't see is the, all the charity work that local football clubs do and community football clubs you know do they don't see that Gary Mabbott has rung supporters throughout the pandemic and they don't see the dementia work that Everton do right so actually football clubs when we talk about them being at the heart of the community we're not just talking about a stadium you know we're not just talking about the fact that there's a football pitch there Actually, they are really much the heart of the community. And it's really irritated me for the last 11 years that people haven't noticed this. And so, you know, if now people are noticing for a variety of reasons and it happens to meet some political agenda, then I don't care. As long as we actually get the message out there that football is good for this country. That seems a very good place uh, to leave it. Uh, a very, very good place. Are you prepared for 
hundreds of Zooms over the next few weeks and people going, and Tracy, and another thing you need to, just like I did then, and you need to do, Alan, have you thought about, is that going to be your life for the next few weeks? Yeah, that's, it's, well, unfortunately it's half term next week, so I'll have a week to sort of prepare myself uh, in Cornwall, the county not necessarily known for (laughs) for having major football. So I'll, I'll be away and then when we come back, it is full steam ahead. Wish you well. Thanks for coming on, Tracy. Appreciate it. Take care. Thank you. Thank you. Right, that's it. Don't forget you can subscribe to The Athletic for a special price of £3.99 a month for six months. That's 40% off the full price of a subscription. Go to theathletic.com slash Ornstein and Chapman to take advantage of the special 40% discount. Theathletic.com slash Ornstein and Chapman. Thanks for listening. The Athletic.